The next virtue, godly virtue, that we want to consider in our series of lessons that we're doing on Sunday morning on those godly character traits that God wants to work in all of us. And that next virtue that we want to consider this morning is that of contentment. Now, over the years, I've given a number of lessons and sermons on on this subject, and it's one that we can so easily let slip from us. It's, we can so easily become discontent and begin to covet that which is outside of the will of God. And when, when we're not content, that lack of contentment in God's people, it, it, it will result in being replaced with discontentment, covetousness, anger, bitterness, and all kinds of sin. And so this is a big one. All of them are important. But we need to learn to be content. So we'll begin this morning with a passage in Hebrews 13 and verses 5 and 6 that reminds us of just how important this godly character trait of contentment is. And something that we should constantly let the Holy Spirit examine our heart and our mind. Are we truly content? And as we continue with the study this morning, we'll, we'll see what it means to be content. Hebrews 13 and verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord, the one who created everything from nothing, he is the one who promised he'd never leave me nor forsake me. I'm never alone. We're commanded to be content with what we have. Now that commandment is not just referring to the material things of life. It certainly includes that, certainly an important part of this contentment. But it really encompasses our portion of life, the lot of life that we have been given. In other words, all that God has desired for us in this life, what his will is for us. Be content with what you have within the will of God. And he gives us ample reason to be content because he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We always have his his protection and his provision promised to us in the will of God. Now to be content, it it refers to a state, a condition of, of mind of being satisfied. I'm satisfied. It has the thought of being at peace, joy, and happiness. Stop and think about that. Isn't that everything that the world is looking for? Satisfaction, peace, joy, happiness. It's the opposite of being covetous. To covet something that's outside of the will of God. That means you're dissatisfied with what you have. You're dissatisfied with the portion that you have been given, that you've been allotted in the will of God. That's not enough for me to be happy, to be satisfied. Discontentment always leads to unrest, confusion, conflict within and without, and ultimately to many different kinds of of sin. Now, the meaning of the Greek word that's translated contentment here in Hebrews, it's kind of an odd definition to get us to the thought of being content and satisfied. It literally means to raise up a barrier. It means to ward off 
or to be sufficiently strong. Now, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of contentment. But as we continue searching out what what God describes as godly contentment, then it, it makes a lot of sense as we go forward. It has the thought of unfailing strength. It's enough. This is how it transforms into the thought of it's enough. It's sufficient. And in the thought in connection with being this this building a barrier, I'm protected. I have enough protection. I have enough provision. The, the definition of, the, of this original Greek word, it, to me, it conjures up a, a mental image of raising up a fortress to protect us from the enemy. It's strong. It's thick. It's sufficient to protect. And within that fortress are provisions sufficient for me to thrive. So this is the thought of contentment that God wants to work in you, this understanding. And that's exactly what the virtue of contentment does for God's people. It protects us from covetousness and all of its dangers. It, it protects us from murmuring. Why would I murmur? I have everything I need. It protects us from complaining, anger, and bitterness because I'm satisfied. Those other emotions, those other character traits have no room in my heart or in my mind because I'm good. I'm content with what I have in the will of God, what he orders for my life, the lot that I have been allotted. It'll cause you to live in peace and joy and satisfaction knowing that you're safe, that that contentment Guard you from any real eternal loss. True, lasting contentment, satisfaction, joy, peace can only be found in the will of God, within that fortress. Yes, the will of God does limit you, what you should and shouldn't do. Absolutely. But there's a reason why those barriers God has put up, because he loves you. Because only within the fortress of his will for your life are you, you going to find everything you need for life and for eternity. I've, over the years, I've heard this phrase when someone is engaging in out-and-out sin and yet they seem to be happy. And, well, everybody deserves to be happy. Anybody heard that? Used that? Even our own Declaration of Independence declares that it's a God-given right for every human being to be able to pursue what makes him or her happy. But the Bible declares that outside of the will of God, no individual has the right to be happy, nor will they be. Only in submission to the will of God are we going to find everything we need to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. It's found only in the will of God. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Paul declared to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's priceless. It's that impenetrable fortress of safety for you. Be satisfied with what God orders for your life. What he allows, what he permits, and what he's provided in the will of God. The key to, to contentment then in the, in the light of all of these truths that we're we're discovering here in the word of God is that if you want to be content you have to pursue godliness godliness with contentment is great gain has great value what is the supreme desire of your your life there are many goals that we can have and and many of them in and of themselves are not wrong 
But those goals that we set, those desires that we have for, for natural relationships and just the material things that we need in life, those things should be in submission to the will of God. If it's God's will, I would like this or that. But more than anything, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to know his will. I want to do his will. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then to be satisfied. There may be some things that you desire in, in the natural, which again is not sin in and of itself. You may desire it, but God may say, that's not what's best for you. Sometimes it's for this time. and Sometimes it might be never. But when God says, this is my will for you, this is the lot, the portion that I've given you in life, you come to the place and you say, I'm satisfied with that. Being content doesn't mean that you'll never want to better your life in certain areas. Doesn't mean that you'll never want or that you shouldn't want something you don't now have. That's not what it means to be content with what you have. But it does mean that having those things or not having some things is not the source of your joy, your peace, and your contentment. If God allows it, amen. Thank you, Lord. I take it from your hand. It's a blessing from you. If it's in your will and you allow it, thank God. New house, new job, whatever it might be. If God ordains that for you and allows it, nothing wrong with that. But your peace and your joy is found in knowing, I want to live to please the Lord and my life is in his hand to do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants for his glory. Contentment in and with the will of God will cause you not to permit anything or anyone to keep you from doing the will of God, from obeying his instruction for your life. I have seen over the years individuals so consumed with making money, with their career, that they neglect their spiritual life. They don't do the things that God says, this is, this is my will for my people. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Hide it in your heart. Lay up treasures on the other side in heaven. Assemble yourself together. These are the things that will build you up and, and cause you to be ready when Jesus comes. But I've seen too many individuals that neglect those things in order to gain material wealth. And it doesn't lead to contentment. Many have lost their families, health, many other things. I've seen local assemblies destroyed because of discontentment. God's people become discontent with the, the simple preaching of the word of God. No, we need this thing. We need this social program. We need this kind of thing. We need this entertainment. We need this kind of singing. And if we don't have it, I'm not satisfied. And I'm not going. I'm not supporting. I've seen assemblies destroyed because of discontentment. May we learn to be content with the will of God. May we be content with the word of God. Everything else will fall in place. He'll supply other things. Again, some of those things in and of themselves, not wrong. But what's important? What's the will of God for his people? Philippians 4 and verse 11. Paul is a good example of what it means to be content. And remember, at this stage in Paul's life, he'd been in prison. He'd been beaten up. He'd been rejected by the Gentiles. He's been rejected by the Jews. He's had a pretty difficult go of things in doing the will of God. And yet he says in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, and it is a learning process. 
I've learned in whatever state or condition I am to be content. That his satisfaction, his joy, his peace wasn't found in his circumstances or in his possessions, but in the will of God, knowing that the Lord would never leave him nor forsake him. That whatever he went through in the will of God, he was never alone. Saints, you can't buy that kind of security anywhere. Sometimes when we talk about being content with the will of God, sometimes that has the connotation, well, you just need to settle for the will of God. As if it was something inferior. Be content with that. I know it's not much, but be content. No. We've got to get rid of that way of thinking. To be content with the will of God is to be content with that which is superior to everything else. Romans 12, 1 and 2. God's people have got to get rid of this kind of thinking that, well, doing what God wants us to do, it just... He, he just doesn't want us to have too much fun. Doesn't want us to enjoy life like, like the sinners do. No. It's such a deception of Satan. Look at the world. Do you really want to be like the world? A lot of God's people do. A lot of churches do. I'm glad I'm different. I'm glad he made me different. I'm glad he's changing me, that he wants to change me, and that he has the power to change me. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, when I, when I am content with the will of God, I'm not settling. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because it's what he's done for you, freely, by his grace, by his mercy, that you present, yield your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a, your reasonable service. Now, stop and think about that picture. He's painting a picture of the burnt offering. Your life is to be a burnt offering to the Lord. That means there's nothing reserved for you or anyone else outside of the will of God. A living sacrifice. Everything belongs to him. That sounds miserable. That sounds awful. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. That is, prove by your experience what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. You're not settling for anything. In the will of God, the will of God for your life is good. That means it's beneficial. It's acceptable. That means it's pleasing. Again, the thought behind acceptable is that, well, it's acceptable. No, it means it's pleasing and it's perfect. That means it's complete. Everything you need for life and for eternity, you will find only in the will of God. That's contentment. Knowing it, Resting in it, thanking God for it. Jeremiah 2.13, this passage has always impressed me, and I've seen it play, played out in the lives of so many of God's people. To not be satisfied with the will of God for your life and to look for your joy and your peace and your happiness in other things or people or relationships, you're leaving that which is superior to partake of something that is far, far more inferior. And this is what Israel did, Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. The first one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You see the picture there? That's a, that's a fresh, clean, natural, flowing spring of water. Life-giving water. That's what you want in water. That's what you want for life. First mistake is to say, well, that's not enough. I'm looking for something else. That's the first sin. 
second sin, and hewn for themselves cisterns, stagnant pools of water, and not just cisterns, but broken cisterns that can hold no water. How foolish is that? In the natural, someone thinking logically would never choose a broken cistern of water for living water, would they? That's just foolish. Well, that's how foolish it is for anyone, for me, to not be content with God's will for my life and to go looking for something else to be happy. That's foolish. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. I'm going to have to go through some of these fast in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. In verse 10 there, Paul talks about that you may approve the things that are excellent. The word there means superior. If you want to be filled, in verse 11, be filled with the fruits of righteousness, all the benefits of what it means to be right with God and to do what's right in his sight, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. It comes only from seeking that which is excellent, superior, the will of God. Let's go to Psalm 16, where we have a good example of someone who learned to be content. We'll have to go through these quickly, but I want to dissect this psalm a little by little, portion by portion, and consider the truth that's revealed in this passage. In verse 1 of Psalm 16, the 16th Psalm, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. The phrase preserve me, it means to hedge about or to guard and protect from harm. That brings up that thought again of what contentment means. It's that building that fortress around us, that strong, sufficient fortress. The phrase put my trust, it means I take refuge in you. He is our protection and our provision. We, we find everything that we need. You can jot down Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 where we find out that the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. He is my protection. For Satan or any of his instruments to get to me and rob me of anything that has any real value... They have to get through the wall, which is Christ Jesus himself. Satan or any of his instruments, human or otherwise, would have to defeat the almighty God, think of the title, in order to get to me to rob me of anything because I am content in that sufficiently strong fortress, which is the almighty God. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 7 to 10, Paul talks about those who love money, who pursue other things, for their happiness. And he says when they do that they fall into snare and to foolish and hurtful lusts. There's no protection outside of the will of God. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows because they they love money or other things or other people more than they love God. Jesus warned in Luke 12 verses 16 to 21 about a young rich man for whom enough was never enough. He built a built bigger barns and bigger barns, and in the process neglected his spiritual life. Didn't stop and think what God wanted for his life. And so the day came when God said, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you, verse 20 of that passage. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You, you spend all your, your life and your time and your energy and your money trying to make more money. And now you're going to die. What was the point of that? You ever stop and think about life in that big picture? (laughs) It's just a vapor that passes so quickly. Why do we spend so much time and energy in things that don't matter and that will pass away? 
when we can be putting things on the other side. Jesus said in verse 21, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. At the expense, there's nothing wrong with being rich. God has abundantly blessed me. And when I look back at my life, and I understand it's nothing but God's grace. I take those blessings, the material blessings that God's given me, I take them from the hand of my Father. He gave them to me. And I thank God for them. But they're not my happiness. I possess them, but I cannot allow them to possess me. Jesus possesses me. I'm his. I live for him. The second verse in Psalm 16. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. The thought behind this verse is that we have no other source of things that are good. He's the only source of that which is good. That's why I say that that includes the material blessings that he gives us. He's the source of those things. Not my intelligence. You may be intelligent, but if you start relying on your intelligence, you're going to be in trouble one day. I think of powerful men. Whatever your politics are, Ronald Reagan was a man of influence in many areas. And I think of, of the power that he wielded. And I do believe that he was probably a a saved man, God-fearing man. But if he was relying on, on his intelligence, what happened in the last part of his life? It failed him, didn't it? It's no fault of his own, but it failed him. No, my, I take all of my blessings as from the hand of my loving Father. But then I also take the trials, the hardships, the difficulties of life. I take those from the hands of my loving Father too. Because if I didn't, I'd live in constant fear. Well, what's Satan going to do to me next? Some of God's people live that way, not me. God allows a tragedy in my life. Father, I I don't understand it, and I can't see how it works for my good, but I trust you. I'm safe inside your will, and I'm content with it. I'm satisfied because it's not inferior. It's working for me a far greater measure of glory for eternity. This is what it means to be content. Matthew 7, 7 to 11 Jump down to verse 11 of that passage. You can read the whole passage when you have time. Evil men know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's the source of all that's good. James 1.17 tells us the same thing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I don't ever have to question his motives. There are the Christians that when things aren't going like they would like them to go, they get bitter against God. But there's no variation in his love. There's no ulterior motive. He loves me. That's why he allows whatever he allows, good or bad, blessing or trial. Put your finger there in the 16th Psalm, uh, Psalm 16 and verse 3. Psalm 16 and verse 3. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This is interesting. Again, this kind of has to do with with the local assembly. There are those that strive to be part of the elite, powerful, wealthy groups of, of life, of society. But I'm content with the fellowship of the saints. That's what God wants to work in us. In Colossians 3, 12 to 15, this is what Paul said. We are the elect of God, holy and beloved. We are to bear with one another. Verse 15 says, to which 
Also you are called, talking about the body of Christ, in one body, and be thankful. When's the last time you gave thanks for the local assembly? For the members of the local assembly. Then obviously it expands to the entire body of Christ. But the local assembly is that local manifestation of that universal body of Christ. It's easy from time to time to be tempted to despise that which is familiar. To grow weary of endeavoring to keep the unity. I've grown tired from time to time. When you have a local assembly that's smaller like this one, everybody knows everybody. And we just, you know, we get familiar with one another. And we can come become discontent with that. But instead, we need to be thankful. Constantly thank God for the fellowship of the saints. And that means even when there are failures and when there, there are things that need to be improved, we, we don't just give up and say, I'm tired of that. That is our tendency. Again, I've confessed from the pulpit from time to time where I've had to ask the Lord for forgiveness for being cynical from time to time with God's people. Give out the word of God, the word of God, and some ignore it and make some of the most foolish choices. And and the thought from my flesh is, (laughs) I tried to tell you. But then there's that need for compassion that we had last week. We need to pray for one another. Hold one another up in prayer. Encourage one another to get back on the path of righteousness. Be thankful for those saints. They are excellent. Even with all of our weaknesses and limitations and failures, God considers us excellent. We've been chosen by him. We need to consider that with one another. The fourth verse of Psalm 16. Their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips. This has the thought of not being attracted. Obviously, in Israel's case, it was literal idolatry, where they worshipped other gods, idols they made with their own hands. But God's people today can also fall into the snare of idolatry. If anything else becomes more important to you than God and his will, that's idolatry. Person, place, thing, relationship, whatever it is. Don't fall into that. Jeremiah 2, 5. Do read this. Jeremiah 2, 5. This is a principle and a truth that I have, again, seen illustrated time and time again in the life of God's people. You become like that which you follow after. If you follow after corrupt wealth outside of the will of God, you're going to become corrupt as well. If you follow after an immoral relationship, you're going to become immoral and suffer the scars of immorality. In Jeremiah 2, 5, thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me? Has God ever failed us? Have followed idols. The word idols there, it literally means vanity. They followed emptiness and have become idolaters or what? They've become empty, vain. They followed emptiness and they became empty. And that's what happens when we are discontent with the will of God for our life. Verses 5 and 6. Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. When was the last time you expressed those thoughts to your father? 
How can we be discontent with our portion, our lot in life, because Jesus himself is our portion? All that he is and all that he has, he offers to us in his will. Our inheritance is a very pleasant one. My inheritance is not suffering. My inheritance is not cancer. It's not death. It's not dementia. My inheritance is eternal life. My inheritance is glory. How can I not be satisfied with that? He is my portion. And the lots have fallen to me in good places. Romans 8.32 He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Just stop and think about the truth of that passage. What did it take for Jesus to leave the realms of glory to come to this sin-cursed world and live among us, he who knew no sin, to live among us sinners, who ultimately gave him up to be crucified, his enemies, and yet he loved me enough, he came to do that, to give his life for me. If he went to all that trouble, why would I doubt that whatever he has for my life in his will, why would I doubt that that's not good for me? Eternally good. Verse 7, Psalm 16. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. This speaks of the word of God. The counsel, the wise counsel of his word and the voice of the spirit that leads me, that speaks to my heart, that, that bears witness with my spirit that I am his child. That instruction that we have in the word of God, you can read later in Psalm 19, verses 9 to 11, that the word of God, his counsel, his instruction in his word, it's more to be desired than gold, even the finest gold. Do you consider, do you value the word of God with that kind of value? That it's that important to have in your life, to have in your heart, to have in your mind, to think According to the, the, the Bible's instruction, it's valuable. We need to be content with it, that it's superior to all other counsel. In the last portion in verses 8 through 11 of Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you willing to walk in the presence of the Lord? You'll find joy. Joy inexpressible. Full of glory. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now we know that this passage, according to Peter and Paul, that the Holy Spirit was also pointing to Jesus Christ, who would die, and yet his body would not see corruption. We know that that promise is not to us, but what we can take away from this passage is to understand that our portion, the promise to us, is not corruption, but incorruption. It's not mortality, but it's immortality. I'm content with the hope of glory. This life has its trials. I've had a few of them. Some have had far greater trials than I have. But I, I wouldn't, looking back at my life, including all the trials and the many, many blessings, I wouldn't change anything because I know that in the will of God, I have protection and I have provision. 
Let's close with 1 Corinthians 15. You cannot have this assurance, this peace, this satisfaction outside of the will of God. So may we allow the Holy Spirit to develop contentment in our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. This is my portion. This is my hope. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Not everybody understands it. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die a physical death. But we shall all be changed, all who've put their faith in Jesus. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, what a glorious day. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Those have all been put away by the sacrifice of Christ. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because all of that's true, because our destiny is set, therefore, my beloved brethren, right now in this life, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord help us to be content with our portion. Let's have a song in closing.